Hello, race fans, and welcome to another edition of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. I am your host, Scott Stiller. Coming up on this week's podcast, we'll talk to Ross Chastain. He's going to take over the driving duties of Chip Ganassi's number 42 Chevrolet Camaro in the NASCAR Cup Series in 2021. We'll also talk to Jason Rittenberry, the Chief Operating Officer of the Music City Grand Prix. That's the new NTT IndyCar Series Street Race coming to Nashville in 2021. And we'll talk with local 410 Sprint Car driver Darren Gallagher, who picked up his first career win Sunday at Tri-City Raceway Park. First, we need to take care of some business. Pittsburgh Racing now pleased to announce a new partnership with Mr. Magic Car Wash. Mr. Magic has locations throughout the Pittsburgh area. Mr. Magic also sponsors a race car. So race fans, go to Mr. Magic, get your car washed, and let them know how much you appreciate their support of local racing. Tired of a dirty car? Mr. Magic Car Wash will have your vehicle looking new again in just minutes, even though it's tough to clean wheels. Try us out at any one of our five convenient South Hills locations for a car wash you won't soon forget. On the bold position tonight is Ross Chastain. You know him as the Melon Man. Chastain will be behind the wheel of Chip Ganassi Racing's number 42 Chevrolet beginning in 2021, but he's running for the Xfinity Series Championship this year, which starts this weekend at Las Vegas. Joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast, NASCAR driver Ross Chastain. Big news this week surrounding Ross and Pittsburgh's own Chip Ganassi. And also, Ross is also in the middle of a playoff fight in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, whose playoffs kick off this weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. First off, Ross, congratulations on the announcement this week that you will be stepping into the 42 car in 2021. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a dream come true for sure. How did you first get involved with Chip? Whew, that, uh, that is quite the, the question. Um, it was 2018. Um, I was running uh, the Xfinity Series and Cup Series almost full-time in Cup. And I'd missed a few races um, and, uh, and, and was running full-time Xfinity for points. And um, he, he had a, a group of family around him that a group of people that, um, you know, was, uh, had, had seen me and, uh, talked to him about me. And, and so they, um, they reached out and wanted to do a few races. So we were able to do three races in the Xfinity series in 2018. Uh, we were able to win one of those. So that was awesome. And then, uh, and then everything kind of went haywire there. Um, but Chip stayed, uh, committed and said we'd try to figure it out again down the road and, and, and he sure did what was it like when you got the call from chip that he wanted to put you in the 42 it was uh it was short and sweet uh one of the, the best calls i've had in a long time but um yeah it was just uh um you know one one day very recently he just uh he called and obviously i had his number saved and and uh, I said, you know, wanna, wanna been working on a lot. You know that working on a lot of things, but I want you to drive my forty two car next year. And I was kind of speechless. And uh, uh, once I could get some words, uh, you know, it was probably only a few seconds, but it felt like a couple minutes. But I got some words in my in my thoughts, and of course, yes, Chip, I want to drive. Yes, absolutely. So 
um, it, uh, it definitely was, uh, you know, it happened quick and, but, um, you know, I knew that he was working on it. I knew that, you know, there was other paths he had to, had to go down and, and look at, but, um, you know, he was able to make this happen for me and, and us do this together. Were you openly campaigning back when everything went down with Kyle Larson? Did you reach out to the team and say, Hey, throw me in the car or were you contractually bound to some of the other things you were doing? Well, I, look, I mean, that, that was, that was a tough, tough situation for, for everybody. And then, you know, especially Kyle and the whole sport, but it, it really, um, was not my, not my place. Um, and we have an ex- we had we have and had at the time and still have an Xfinity championship that we're we're going after, and and to to jeopardize that with a real legitimate shot, um, you know, for the chance to to have to go win a race and cup. I mean, I've never even even driven a, a fully funded car, let alone go try to compete for for a win to make it into the playoffs. So um, I think that the, you know, the smart choice was stick to the plan of getting back in, in, in the fold there one day. And, um, now did I know it was come in 2021? No, I, I didn't. We didn't, but, um, it's just the way, the way life goes, man. And, and a lot of twists and turns on the road to get here, but it's, you know, it's all paid off. Pittsburgh sports fans love a guy like you kind of I kind of call it like the lunch pail type guy who just comes, puts his head down, goes to work and doesn't worry about all the static around, just quietly goes about his business, does his job, and wants the results and the effort to speak for themselves. And I think that's one of the things that Chip likes about you. You're, you got a lot of, even though you're not from, the, even though you're from Florida, you got a lot of that Western Pennsylvania uh, and really middle America work ethic. Well, yeah, we're, we're from South, Southwest Florida, but we're, we're inland. And that's the difference, uh, we, we grow watermelons. So, you know, a lot of people think of Florida, they think of, you know, uh, vacationing there. Um, maybe they, them or their, their families have, uh, looking at or have retired there. And, and, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's a, a good little ways away from where we're at, where we farm. So, um, it's definitely, uh, you know, I'm proud of where I'm from. Um, but we do get a bad rap sometimes because we, uh, uh just being from Florida. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, you know, at the farm, we can go, once I get to the to the watermelon field, I can go all day and, and never see anybody out there at the farm. So that's, uh, that's nice. Um, and yeah, we're just, just normal people doing normal things. And now I, you know, my job in 2021 will be, what's well, crazy as it sounds, to drive Chip Ganassi's, you know, number 42 car in the Cup Series. Well, you talked about some unfinished business this season in the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs start, and I was looking at your your season this year. You've actually probably been the most consistent driver in the Xfinity Series. 23 top 10s, 13 top 5s, and you're the only driver that's qualified for the playoffs that doesn't have a DNF. The only thing that's missing is that win. You guys have been close, so what's it going to take to park it into victory lane and punch your ticket to the next round? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a combination of things. But first off, we we don't we're not changing anything just because the playoffs are starting. We're not changing how we how we do things, how we go about getting getting these race cars ready. Um, and then from there, just executing in the race. It's been one thing or another, uh, or a few things gone wrong uh, in these races that have taken us out of driving in victory lane. But um, we just keep doing what we're doing, and and that's all we can do. We can't 
we can't change anything. We can't, you know, suddenly pick up speed or, or do anything better. We're just, we are doing the best we can and, and it, it'll pay off. It's, it's not if we win in that 10 car, it's, it's when we win. That's the attitude you have. And you're going back to a place where you parked it into victory lane uh, back when you did it with Chip in the Xfinity Series at Las Vegas. So uh, what's it take to get around that place quickly? Uh, well, race car is a lot of it, for sure. It's a, it's a big mile and a half, pretty pretty good banking, but it, it's it's worn out. So the, the asphalt is pretty worn, so we slide around quite a bit. And it, it really, uh, you know, will change the way your car handles from the beginning of a run when you first put on tires to the end. So it's, uh, it's something that's a, it's a challenge, but it's something that you can adapt and, and manipulate these race cars, um, to, to handle the way you want them to. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, we're, we're starting fourth based on NASCAR's, uh, formula they do now. And uh, from there, you know, we'll we'll try to uh, roll that top. The, the middle and top lanes do come in. I'm not going to say we'll be all the way against the wall like Darlington or something, but uh, we'll be on up there. If, if it's as hot as they're saying, it's going to be about 199, 100 degrees. Uh, but, you know, it's a dry heat, you know, so you don't have to worry about it too much. But it's still going to be hot, and, uh, and it, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a challenge. But, um, you know, watermelon is 92% water, man, and, and uh, I got a steady diet of it. There you go. That's what you love to hear. I, I have to ask you, you say you guys don't change anything, but with the way NASCAR has the, the points set up with the stages and all that, uh, are, are you in the back of your mind when you're, when you're running, are you constantly just trying to, to position the car so you can cash in some points from here on out, at least in the stages, and then just make sure you're, you're up there towards the front so you can go for the win? I mean, what's the mindset? Because it's almost counterintuitive from the regular season when you get into the playoffs. The regular season's about winning, so you can lock yourself into the playoffs. You were consistent as hell all year long, so now you get into the playoffs where where it almost seems like you have to kind of points race a little bit. Well, I think it's um, well, well. To be honest, no, my I, to be honest, my mindset does not change. I don't I don't look at it now. If if I'm you know, standing here talking to you, um, one week from now and I have crashed on lap four because I pushed too hard and got loose and overcorrected and caught the, caught the wall and destroyed the race car and we finished 38. Then I probably should have had a little better mindset of, of points racing, but, but this sport, our team, Nutrinex Solutions, my sponsor, um, you know, we've got a brand new sponsor doing our in-car camera this week and offer pad. Um, so it's, it's, all about winning they want to win that's why OfferPad came on board that's why nutrient solutions uh came on board with me uh starting last year and and it's something that you know i'm i'm proud of that's what when we sit down in a in a boardroom or now on a massive zoom call to, to talk about the sponsorship and stuff it's you know they're like man we we want you to go smash a watermelon that's what we want to see so however you can do that go do it and and that's uh, that's awesome to hear because we only do that, right? Whenever we win races, so it's um it's a tough balance, and and you know Monday morning quarterback can be tough if I make a mistake, but my mindset's just go do all I can to go win. That's the nice thing about NASCAR is is once you got another race ahead of you, so if you know you, the results aren't the way you want it, you put that behind you and you go full throttle the following week. 
Hey, Ross, we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. We know you got a jam-packed day today, so we want to wish you the best of luck in the NASCAR playoffs. We're going to look forward to catching up with you uh, after the uh, season, maybe before next year starts. And uh, I know a lot of Pittsburgh race fans and Pittsburgh NASCAR fans follow Chip's team, so we're excited to uh, follow you. We've had our eye on you the last couple of years, and uh, I think Chip, Chip has made a good move putting you in the 42. Well, thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, yep, we'll uh, try to make everybody proud. Well, good luck this weekend, man. Thanks for taking time out, and uh, we appreciate it. Yep, thank you. Thanks to Ross for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk with us. One of the biggest stories in open wheel racing has been the announcement of a street race next year in Nashville. So, of course, we were all over it. Joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast, Jason Rittenberry. He's the Chief Operating Officer of the Music City Grand Prix. That is the new IndyCar race that's coming to the streets of Nashville that was announced. So, Jason, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, Scott. Thanks for having us on this morning. Tell us, how did the race come to fruition? I know this has been a couple of years in the making. It has. It's been uh, several different iterations of this race, and uh, several different groups have tried to uh, put this event on and to promote this event. And uh, really, this this group got together uh, about almost three years ago. So uh, Matt Cruz was involved with this from day one. Uh, it was kind of Matt's idea to, to start this event and promote this event here in Nashville. And uh, at the time, I was still at Circuit of the Americas. Uh, when I left Circuit of the Americas, came back here to Nashville, which is home for me. Uh, Matt and I both. Uh, Middle Tennessee natives. Well, we came back to Nashville, and uh, I joined Matt in this uh, effort, and we've been working uh, a solid three years on this, and uh, just glad to have it completed, signed, announced. Uh, it was a long journey, a long process, but really we wanted to make sure we did it right, and right meaning all the steps in the right order, getting the right uh, parties involved, and the right people on board, which included the uh, the city government here in Nashville, the state of Tennessee, the Tennessee Titans and IndyCar. And so getting all those parties involved and all agreeing on uh, this event and getting us all on the same page and finding a week that worked has uh, really been a long process. But uh, I feel like very confident in the group we have, the group of investors we have, uh, and the support that we have from our partners in this event. So how does one go about, like, where was the starting point other than the idea? What is the first step that you take after that? Was it going to the city? Was it going to the state? Was it going to the corporate community? Well, I think the first, I think the first step in that is, is you have to decide on, yes, you're going to do an event, but what type of event is that going to be? And if it's, you know, motorsports, what series or what type of racing are you going to pursue? And uh, for us, IndyCar was, was really the only only consideration. Uh, we knew we wanted to do a street race, a festival in downtown Nashville uh, in an urban setting. And so IndyCar made the most sense. So uh, the first step in that was, you know, I reached out to Stephen Starks at IndyCar, who I uh, worked with previously at, at Circuit of the Americas. And you know, we said, hey, Stephen, we've got this great idea. And I know you've heard this before. And I know this has been floated by IndyCar a few times from other parties. But uh, here's why we're different. And really, we made that pitch to Stephen and, and IndyCar folks. And again, that was you know, close to 30 years ago. Uh, and here we are today talking about it uh, happening in August of 21. It has to be exciting. Once you get IndyCar on board, and then do you say, do you, do you go to the city and say, hey, we have this idea. What do you guys think about it? Uh, what was their reception like? Or was that the next step in the process? Maybe that's the better question. 
Yeah, absolutely. We had to do getting the process in the right order and get, making sure we got all the approvals in that right order was very, very important to us. We did not want to get the cart before the horse and, and start talking about a race or promoting a race or, or even hinting of a race uh, because that had happened in Nashville a few times prior. Uh, and so we tried to keep it uh, you know, as quiet as possible until we felt like we had the right partners in place. And, and you're right, Scott, that was the next step. We had to go to the city, to the mayor, uh, to the metro government, uh, sports council, sports authority, all those parties uh, in Nashville. And really the, the one thing that we knew we had to do to, to make this event happen, we had to get the Tennessee Titans and Nissan Stadium on board. Uh, and so after the city, the Titans were the very next step. And, and really that was the, uh, the most challenging part of this was finding the date. Uh, working with everyone involved, including the Convention of Visitors Corporation, uh, we kind of looked at the, at the Nashville event calendar and the one date that the CBC proposed to us uh, was this first week of August. Uh, that worked really well for them. It was a time that the city was able to accommodate an event of this size. We had the hotel capacity uh, to be able to accommodate it. Uh, and for multitude of reasons, it worked well. Uh, it worked well for them. It worked well for the Titans, obviously, with preseason football we had to take into consideration uh, with the NFL uh, being home to the Tennessee Titans, as well as uh, Nashville's newest MLS uh, Major League Soccer team playing in that stadium for the next couple of years as well. So a lot of factors and a lot of considerations to take into to account to, to find this data and make this work. When you guys floated the idea to the city and the Sports and Convention Bureau, uh, what was their initial reaction, and uh, what uh, what kind of obstacles did you guys face? Well, I would say the initial reaction was, uh, you know, I think we've heard this idea before. Uh, what's different about your group? Uh, and the biggest obstacle from the very beginning has, was, uh, look, the city can't, we're not in a financial position to, promote another event. We're not in a financial position to uh, to put public dollars into another major event here in Nashville. And so from very from the very beginning, from day one, our pitch to the city uh, and to everyone involved was this will be a privately funded event. We're not asking the city for anything. Uh, and, you know, the city keeps coming back. Okay, what, what's the catch here? How are you going to do this without asking the city for anything? And, you know, we just felt like we had a strong group of investors, a strong group that believed in this event, believed in its success. Uh, so that one obstacle we, we were able to overcome fairly quickly. Uh, uh, we're not asking the city for anything. We're paying for everything with privately funded uh, dollars. Uh, that includes promoting the event, all the all the operational costs for the event, all the road improvements to the public streets, the repairs that are needed, all the barricade, all the fence, all, all those things, uh, including the city services that they're providing to us. Uh, we're paying for all the police, for all the fire, for public works, for all those things. Uh, so this truly is a 100% privately funded event that's not costing the taxpayers of, of Nashville uh, anything. Uh, and they're gaining the benefit and the economic impact of this event. What kind of costs are involved? Obviously, it's got to be in the millions of dollars. Uh, I, I can imagine it's, it's got to be un, uh, unbelievable. Yeah, it, it is, Scott. It's, it's a pretty hefty uh startup cost for an event like this, especially in the first year. So obviously we're looking to, to amortize that over a, the multi-year agreement that we have with IndyCar over three years. But, uh, you know, the range is, is somewhere between six and eight million startup costs uh, to prepare the facility to make all those improvements and the operational costs for year one. Wow. That's uh, uh, years ago, one of the late mayors in Pittsburgh, pretty much right after Heinz Field and PNC Park were built, 
right around 2005, 2006, he envisioned trying to do some type of street-type race around Pittsburgh, and he formed a coalition of business leaders and got some uh, local folks involved. And unfortunately, he, he passed away nine months later from brain cancer, so he never really, they weren't able to get the ball moving in that direction. And Nashville and Pittsburgh, they're, they're very similar in that their sports fans are unbelievably passionate. I think we saw that when the Penguins played the Predators uh, uh, for, in the Stanley Cup Finals a few years back. So if you can tap into that, you know, the Predators fans, the Titan fans, like they wanted to do here in Pittsburgh with the Steelers, Pirates, and the Penguins fans, you guys should get out the gate pretty strong. Yeah, you nailed it. And uh, Nashville and Pittsburgh are very similar with their sports fans. And I know we see a lot of Steelers fans when you guys come down here to Titan Stadium. So I'm a Titans fan, so I'm not sure I like seeing all that uh, black and gold in there. But uh, we absolutely travel very well. And that's our plan and our goal here in Nashville is to tap into, obviously, the Tennessee Titans are our partner. Uh, they're our co-host for this event at Nissan Stadium. Uh, we have many friends at the other sports uh Properties and franchises here in Nashville will be working very closely. Uh, Bridgestone, Firestone, obviously being an IndyCar sponsor and partner, being headquartered here in Nashville and partnered with the uh, with the Predators. So there's lots of lots of ties here uh, to tie all these sports properties together here in Nashville, and that's absolutely our goal is to you know to let Nashville do what Nashville does best, and that's uh, throw throw a great party uh, and support a great event and show the rest of the world what uh, what we can do here in Nashville. So tell us a little bit about the event and what you guys are planning, because as you said, the the IndyCar street races are like a festival. And I always try and tell folks, if you've never gone to an IndyCar race, if you're not going to go to the Indy 500, you need to go to a street race because it's basically like a party in the city. Absolutely. And that's what we're uh, we're promoting here. You know, we're, we're coupling Nashville's convenient downtown location. Uh, it's safe, walkable downtown. It's right across the bridge from all the activities. You know, we're taking the insights from the successes that we've had here in Nashville with other large events, and we're going to host this three-day international festival of speed, sound, food, and fun. And really, that's our tagline, and that's what we're uh, that's what we're promoting. Uh, is is a festival, is an event. It's not just about the racing. Yes, it is a race, and so yes, we have to have great on-track, uh, exciting racing. Uh, and we plan to do that, and we know that IndyCar will provide that. But from our standpoint, as the promoters of the event, we have to provide all of this to the fans. Uh, we want it to be a party party atmosphere, similar to a Long Beach. With you know, racing uh, is is a primary focus of the event, but we have something for everyone. If you're not a huge race fan, it's still a party that you need to be at. Uh, there may be racing going on in the background while you're you know enjoying some other activity at the event, whether that be live music. Obviously, being in Nashville, I mean, it's going to be a huge part of our event uh, and the festival atmosphere, uh, but also the culinary part from the food uh, and all the you know kids' activities, fun zone, all those things that we're going to have to offer. Uh, you said it, Scott. It is a festival. It's not just a race. You touched on the music a little bit. Uh, what's the game plan with the music? Do you do you? Uh, I know you don't have specifics as far as artists or anything like that yet, but what are you thinking about along the lines of the music? What are your plans there? Well, every day of our of our events and the festival will include music. Uh, we'll have a you know headline concert one of the nights of the event, but during the day, each, each day of the event, there will be live music. We'll have several stages set up around the facility, uh, around the, the Nissan Stadium, uh, 
Shadow, a big machine label group, big machine records, is one of our investors. So obviously that brings some, uh, some horsepower to the music side of things. Uh, so with it being Nashville, the artists, we're already seeing the artists approaching us. They're excited about it. Uh, they want to be involved uh, as they do with anything here in Nashville, whether it be the Preds or the Titans. Uh, they want to get involved and support their hometown and support their hometown events. And so uh, I, would, I would expect to see some pretty, pretty major stars, uh, some pretty big names in the country music to be involved with our event. I know Keith Urban's a big gearhead. We saw him a couple of years ago at, he was, uh, I think, the Firestone Legends Day concert at the 500 a few years back, and he packed them in. And uh, it seems like every year at the Speedway, they, they try and have a country artist and maybe a classic rock artist. And then over at the Snake Pit, they, they have some sort of younger uh, type of genre of music. So it seems like they try and touch all the bases there. What's interesting about Nashville, what I've found out the last couple of times I've been down there, it's become quite the foodie town. It is, absolutely, uh, which is why we've included the culinary side uh, of the festival into our event. It is absolutely a foodie town. Uh, you're seeing more and more uh, chefs pop up in Nashville, more and more new restaurants, so that will absolutely be a big part of, of our event all three, all three days of the event. Now, what's interesting, I checked out the track layout the other day during the announcement, and you guys are setting the paddock up around Nissan Stadium. But what I found to be the most unique thing about the whole layout is the fact that you're, the course includes crossing the Korean uh, War Veterans Memorial Bridge, which I, I've never seen anything like that in any type of street race. So uh, tell us how that came, how the course came about and how you guys were able to work that out. Well, we agree. That's the most exciting part of our track. It's, you know, for a multitude of reasons. One, it's going to make for exciting racing. It's going to be a great straightaway uh, in both directions across that bridge. Uh, and three, it's going to highlight our city. There are going to be some amazing television shots of the skyline, of downtown Nashville, of Nissan Stadium, uh, all of the things that are, are representative of Nashville and all the things that people think of when they see Nashville, all of those are going to be featured uh, on this live television broadcast right there in the background of these shots going across that bridge. And so uh, really that was a, uh, if you looked at uh, the initial course design that was laid out on one of the previous iterations of this, and, and that was probably one of the most fun parts of this, watching this unfold over the last, you know, month or so as the rumors started flying was watching the social media and, and seeing everyone try to guess what the course layout was going to be. And people uh, found a, you know, a public document from uh, 2017 that had a course layout around Nissan Stadium. And, you know, it wasn't the most exciting layout. Uh, I will admit, you know, that was a, a previous group, a previous version of the track, but it was, it was fun to watch uh, over the last 48 hours, really, once we released the course map. Uh, and watch the excitement of the fans, watch the drivers post on social media, listen to Joseph Newgarden on Wednesday say how exciting this course is going to be with this bridge. And so uh, we were very excited about announcing that. That was the one thing that we were you know, trying to keep as close to the vest as we could until the actual announcement on Wednesday. Uh, so we would have something that really would be a wow factor for uh, for the fans and the racers and everyone involved. And, you know, it really came about with talking through with, with the mayor and the city and uh, with Butch Spirit and with the National CBC is how can we feature Nashville? We don't want this race to be just around Nissan Stadium parking lot 
uh, and staying on that side of the bridge. Really, Nashville is about downtown. We want it to be a true urban festival. We want it to incorporate downtown. And to be able to do that, we needed to cross that bridge. And so uh, we were able to pitch the idea to everyone involved. The mayor was fully supportive and fully on board with it and said, yes, absolutely, we need to do this. Nashville Skyline needs to be featured uh, in this race. And so it, uh, we got support on that right away from the very beginning uh, once we started pitching this uh, this idea and the proposal in the race course. And uh, Tony Kotman, who's a world-renowned track designer, designed our course. And so uh, he has obviously taken his experience uh, and using insights from other courses that run against body of water or near bodies of water or in some cases – you know, for short distances over small bodies of water, uh, like you said, haven't really seen anything quite like this. We've seen some other races, including Belle Isle, that race over, you know, small little bridges, but nothing that's uh, 3,400 feet of, of bridge across a major river. Yeah, as soon as I saw that course, I thought, well, we can go over, over the river. Uh, and I thought to myself when that idea was pitched, I got it, it was 15 years ago here in Pittsburgh, I thought to myself, Wow, if the old mayor, you know, God rest his soul, if he was still alive and he saw this track layout, he'd have gone nuts because one of the things he brought up years ago was, I wonder if we could go over the bridge, like from over near Heinz Field and PNC Park into the city and then back over that way because, you know, Pittsburgh's the city of bridges. And to see that layout, it blew me away. So, uh Hats off to Tony Cotman and your group for being able to pull that off. It looks like an incredible course because with such long straights in a couple of spots, there's going to be plenty of passing opportunities. Plenty of passing opportunities, lots of speed, tons of excitement. You know, when they're coming back across that bridge and have to make that hairpin 90-degree left-hand turn, uh, that's going to be one of the most exciting areas of the course. And we've got a grandstand right there in that turn. And, you know, when the folks are coming, the cars are coming at those folks head-on, uh, and having to make that left-hand turn, that's going to be one of the you know, one of the most exciting areas of the course for sure. We were very fortunate to have that bridge. It's uh, you know it's an eight-lane bridge with no center divider, so it's absolutely perfect for this uh, for the course and, and works out well. It gives plenty of lane, uh, plenty of, uh, of lane on each side, and plenty of room for passing, and, and just we'll just make for great racing. Well, we're looking forward to it for fans from our area, and we hit the tri-state area here, uh, western Pennsylvania, parts of Ohio, and West Virginia. So for fans that are interested in coming to the event, how can they get more information? Well, our website is live. It went live on Wednesday uh, in conjunction with our announcement. So it's musiccitygp.com. There's there's information right on the homepage about how to – uh, enter your information and be notified as soon as our tickets go on sale. Uh, we do have a, a few opportunities that are available right now. We have uh, some premium uh, and and club opportunities that are available. We have our club RPM, uh, which that's a small group. It's limited to 500. And that's your, really your ultimate experience for the Music City Grand Prix. Uh, it's, it grants you access to our exclusive on-site party suite uh, inside the bridge building, which is adjacent to the course. Uh, it's unlimited food and beverage for the weekend. Uh, it's really the high-end uh, exclusive ticket for the first 500 people that are interested in that. And then uh, we also have our Founders Club. Uh, and, again, that one's limited to our first 1,000 members. Uh, and that is the tailor-made for ultimate race fans who are looking to take their race experience to the next level. It gets you the three-day ticket packages, reserved uh, seats in the grandstands, paddock packages, 
And most importantly, it gives you the first opportunity for all the events for the weekend. So it gets you parking, gets you the first opportunity to buy tickets, first opportunity for hotels, uh, all of the things that the Ultimate Race fan is really going to want. And so uh, both of those are available now on our website. And then our individual tickets will go on sale. Uh, right now we're looking at uh, about 45 days, 60 days from now, those will be on sale. Uh, we'll just make sure we've got everything finalized before we, we get those uh, up on the website. Uh, and hotel packages as well. Uh, fans, I know, are already starting to call and, and make the hotel packages, but I do want to let everyone know that you know, as soon as, as soon as we have our individual tickets on sale online, we will have hotels as well uh, at discounted negotiated rates. Uh, so don't uh, get too scared if you go on Expedia.com right now and try to book a, a hotel. I'll just wait for our tickets to go online. Uh, we'll have some great hotel prices and hotel packages with those tickets uh, very soon. Jason Rittenberry, we appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to us about the uh, exciting news that the IndyCar Series is coming to Nashville Music City. Uh, it sounds like you guys have the makings of a great event, uh, and uh, I encourage fans to sign up, like you mentioned, and stay plugged into what you guys are doing. And uh, uh, anything else that you need to add about what you guys got going on? Well, I just want to thank you for the time. Thank you for the opportunity for having us on today. Thank you for letting us talk about our event. Uh, the only thing I would add is, in addition to our website, all of our social media channels are live as well. So follow along. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those are at Music City GP. Excellent. Jason Rittenberry, Chief Operating Officer of the Music City Grand Prix, thanks for taking time to join us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Have a great day. Thanks to Jason for taking time out to join us. There is a ton of buzz over this race, and guys, if you want to check out some IndyCar racing, this would be a great trip to take your better half. The IndyCar Series is off this weekend. Next weekend, it's the Harvest Grand Prix doubleheader on the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Tired of a dirty car? Mr. Magic Car Wash will have your vehicle looking new again in just minutes, even those tough-to-clean wheels. Try us out at any one of our five convenient South Hills locations for a car wash you won't soon forget. One of the best stories in local racing this week happened this past Sunday at Tri-City Raceway Park's Applefest Race Weekend. Joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast is 410 Sprint Car driver Darren Gallagher, who picked up the big win Sunday at Tri-City Raceway Park at Applefest. And Darren, congratulations on the first win. Nothing like the first win, I would think. Hey, thanks for having me on, Scott. And uh, yeah, I, I think Sunday it happened, and I'm still on a high as it is, because I never think that I'd be in that place, but... Uh, we got it Sunday, and I couldn't be happier with the whole deal. Awesome. We'll talk a little bit about your run and the race, but one of the first questions I always ask my podcast guests is, how did you first get into racing as a fan, and is it, was there any one particular form of racing that kind of sparked the flame? I'd say probably since I can remember, uh, my dad used to work at Lernerville, and Lernerville Speedway as a front stretch lineup guy. And I would go to the track. He has a little, little pike and he put me up in the press box every once in a while and we could get out and go. And I could watch the races as a little kid and all that. And I grew up at Lernerville until I was able to finally get into go-karts. And, uh, we were start racing go-karts at the local track here in Butler on 422. 
raced that for a couple of years, decided, hey, let's move up. So we found a modified light for sale, went and got that and raced that for, I'd say, four years or so. Ran off of Mercer quite a bit, ended up with a track championship at Mercer. And um, that was going on. I'm like, hey, okay, let's maybe look into something else. Uh, a buddy of mine had a 305 sprint car, and I, he let me take it out one day for a hot lap session. I came in after the hot lap, said, you know what? I'm done with the mod life. Let's move up the 305 sprints. And uh, ran 305, got a championship in a 305 sprint at Mercer. And uh, then they shut down. The owner sold it, and they were shut down. And we were kind of left in the fence with the 305 and all that running with the 410s. And, uh, some stuff came around. I was able to get a little old dash 12, 410 in my hands. And this was, this is actually our first full season with it. And we're now running the 410 series and all that around Western PA and Sharon, Lernerville, Tri-City. And, um, figuring I could go out and run, if I could run top 10 with a little motor that I have, just my own family owned machine and all that, I'd be thrilled. And, um, uh, Turns out we won up at Tri-City this Sunday, and I couldn't be any more happy about it. I never in my life would have thought I was. I would have started in go-karts, got to 410, and finally got a win, a uh, well-deserved win, I would say, just how hard I ran it. But uh, as far as little kid at Warnerville, now I'm racing 410 at Warnerville, and Tri-State here, I couldn't be more happier with the way everything's worked out. I think it's went pretty good for myself and my family as it was. We're enjoying it. So how old were you when you started in go-karts? I would say I was probably 14, and we started in go-karts, little, little track. Um, the guys, I was a little too young. They, weren't, they were on the fence about running the adult class of my age, I, and they decided to let me go out and race with the guys want to see if I could do it. I ended up winning that day and they're like, okay, you can race with us. That's fine. So we went and got a go-kart and we fiddled, fiddled around for a couple of years on Sunday, Sunday afternoons, just a little family owned track. We go out and race and, and it was, it was a blast. And then I got older, probably about the end of high school is when I started into actually come big competitive, uh, cars and, going to different tracks and starting to move around and open my wings a little bit. So when you went to, uh, from the go-karts, you went to the, the light modifieds. How old were you at that age? That age, I was probably, I would say probably 17, 18. We started in the modified lights and we, and I was running that till about 22. And then when I was 22, 23, we got in three or five, ran that for, um, about six years. And then from there on, I've been running the 305 engine and now the 410 the last season and a half with the 410. So tell me about uh, the different levels of competition. When you started in go-karts, uh, did you run in a certain age group bracket? Um, with the go-karts where we were at, it was, um, they called it pretty much the stock adult class. It was any, anybody from 16 on. They had their senior class and they had their kid class. I was just at the point of being too old for the kid class, but too young for the adult class. So they let me into the adult class and, um, I was good. They were okay with me racing all that and everyone got along and 
we were good. Didn't take anyone out, didn't make any big mistakes and won a couple with the go-karts. And then once I was old enough to be for sure in the adult class, we stick there and race in that class for a while. It was pretty competitive. It wasn't too bad. Nothing. No one came in from out of town and all that, but it was just a little local go-kart track. Well, you hear this story about so many guys in racing, really, whether whether they're guys that are in the Cup Series, guys that are run Indy cars, sports cars. I would have to say almost 90, 95% of them got their start in go-karts. So for a, a parent that might hear this podcast and, and who has a son or a daughter in this day and age uh, that wants to pursue karting, what kind of advice would you give them? I would say don't be afraid to let let your your kid go out and get a go kart and race. I mean, there's plenty of plenty of tracks around, and the competition just for a young age racer as I was then, just all the different guys and carts, and you start to learn uh, about different, just say the racing family as itself, and all your competitors, and you learn stuff that you just don't in school, or just with everything else the racing involves and brings in with working in the garage with your dad or mom or grandpa or whoever, whoever it may be just learning the ins and outs and um, just being with the family and whatever you can do. And then going out on the weekends and race. I mean, there's different classes. There's different classes as rookie class where you just take your time or you full blown go make some money on adult classes. But, uh, I wouldn't be scared of it. I know my mom and dad weren't after I was looking at it and all that. They gave me the chance and we just flourished from that. And it's been, it's been really great ever since. And they're excited for what all the past seasons have brought and where we started and where we're at now. You talked a little bit uh, just now about the racing family and for folks that are outside of racing or maybe in traditional uh, stick and ball sports, I tell them what's interesting about racing is that your competitors, once the flag drops, but anytime you're in the garage area, it's one big giant family. So I I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and your experience in that area. Yeah, for sure. The racing family, it's, we pretty much say we get to the track, unload the car and all that. We can go up and down the pit area and all that and just, pretty much talk with anybody everyone wants to talk figure out hey what's the secrets and all that and we're all good as a driver myself when i with other competitive drivers in the pits and all that chat whatever do what we want to do enjoy ourselves but it's business on the track and then afterwards we can go off and talk to each other if it was a good run or not and just have a good time enjoy the race and all that and then it also comes down to there's times hey i broke my car there's got hit in a heat race i've knocked the front end out of my car there's so many other than your crew there's so many other crews that will jump in and say hey uh, what do you need do you need something i got an axle i got a rotor i got a radius rod or hey i need you need a hand I, or they'll just jump in you turn around and there's three different crew members from other pits working on your car to make sure that you're ready to get back out for the feature even though you're competing against another car that they're working on um people will just just drop um, anything to do for you, and it happens more than more than anyone really realizes. Because um, just in the pits, I mean, pretty much if you need something and you don't have it, you can go ask somebody else, and they'll. And if they have it, pretty much can use it. Um, it's 
just an unwritten code. Everyone just, everyone works together. There are some difficulties with certain people and all that, but that's, that happens. But overall though, I mean, when it comes to needing something or advice or any, anything in general, pretty much the, all the racing family behind you that you don't deal with every day, they're still behind the, to be there for you if you need something or try to do whatever they can. I mean, I could go on for hours just uh, some of the different things. But over, overall, though, it's been uh, the racing family is something. It's definitely something else. It's You don't really see it in any other sports, but uh, definitely dirt motorsports and the racing world. It's a whole nother, It's a whole nother view of things. Before we get to your big win on uh, Sunday, Let's talk a little bit about this season and how bizarre it's been from the season really getting off to a late start because of COVID-19. How did that, did that help you guys in preparation for the season? Or were you ready to roll at that point? And uh, when the seasons kind of all got put on, you know, when COVID threw the caution flag or the red flag, basically, uh, how did that make you feel? How did, how did you guys handle it? Well, let's see. Before pre-COVID, as I call it, we were the car was getting ready. We we're just finishing touches, and right when COVID hit, I ran into a, my vinyl supplier was shut down. So that kind of put us behind the eight ball, and we we're trying to figure out who who can get at least numbers for my car. And when that all hit, and races started getting canceled and all that, it it was kind it stunk in a way, but in another way, it was kind of good for us because we kind of got stuck behind the eight ball and all that so when it, the track did finally open we were ready to go and uh when we were ready we looked at the schedule to see who was still trying to take a chance to run with it and who wasn't there's one track trying to go so we went up and supported them and we went out we we're ready we weren't there was wasn't really any rust we knew we were running and uh knew what we could do and possibly can do but uh, overall, we were ready to go. Just It was a little delayed. I think everyone was kind of up in the air about the whole COVID thing and what was going on and the mayhem of that. But overall, we were bummed to have the season delayed, but we were okay with it because of some of the little things that we still needed to get the car ready. So that way, first night out, wherever we were, we were ready. We weren't running around and trying to catch up to things. So um, the virus and all that that happened, it it was a blessing in disguise, but I don't want to call it a blessing because it wasn't at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but, no doubt. Uh, we were definitely, after it was all done and tracks were open, we were ready to roll, and we still are continuing to race, so it works out. So let's talk about the big race on uh, Sunday where you got the win. Let's back up to Saturday where really Friday was practice day and Saturday were the heat races. How uh, Did you know when you went out in the – uh, to run some practice laps and in the heat race, did you know you, you, you had a good car for the track? Uh, walk me through your weekend a little bit on, let's start on, on how you, the car felt on Saturday. Uh, yeah, they had the three day weekend practice Friday, which we were at Lernerville and that all started, uh, right Lernerville, we got kind of tore up in a feature with an early race. So that kind of broke a couple things on the car. So Saturday morning, we, did a bunch of maintenance, got all that ready, and got the car ready loaded and headed to the track. Saturday, we got there, 
track was, we used to look at the track where we were sitting and all that. We're like, okay, let's just go with our standard setup. So we just ran our standard, went out for hall laps and hall lap qualifying. It wasn't too bad. There was still a lot of moisture in the track for what it was and the motor that I have in the car. Um, so that wasn't too bad and ended up starting, I think, yeah, front row of the heat race. And on the start, got out to the lead and track was, it had some speed in it and it was, it was still dry enough though. It didn't, wasn't requiring full horsepower engines and, uh, kind of strung out just buying, just watching laps click off and making good laps and all that. So that put us, that put us for the win in the heat race, which for Saturday, it went in the heat race. That gave us the chance to redraw the top top two finishers of each heat, which that was the top six positions for the feature. And they made me redraw. That put Jack and AJ Flick, Jack Soneman and AJ Flick on the front row, myself in third, and uh, Dan Shetler outside of me for the feature. And that pretty much was the lineup for Sunday's race. And uh, then on the Sunday, we were thinking... Uh, starting third, I got two heavy hitters, veterans in front of me, track champions, and I got veterans all around me. If I can make this race happen, no major issues, get top five, even a top, top 10. But if I get top five, that would be great. Uh, started start race started out. I got passed. I got probably was in fourth with some laps in and, uh, had a caution, uh, which helped the broad field back up. And I'm sitting where I was in, I think, third at the time behind AJ. It went green. We did some laps. AJ went to the bottom in three and four, got stuck behind a lap car. I was on the top side, made that pass on him, and tucked in behind Jack. Was able to run with him for a while till we got another caution came out. And um, so the caution came out. Jack took the lead. I saw where he went in the first corner and all that. And I went, tried my own line. It seemed to work. We ran about, I think, two laps. Then the caution came out again, realigned the field up. And I was kind of hoping that he would take the same spot going into one, which he did. And I went down into turn one as hard as I could, thinking this is my chance to go. So I hucked it down into one, made it stick, and then drifted it up on the track, gave him a slider which I really never threw any sliders on anybody this whole season. So I'm like, well, if it's anybody I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it to Jack and try to make it. And then I cleared him and we were running, running lead, pulling away from the field actually. And, uh, about midway through the race, I started noticing a little power loss coming from the engine and, uh, it just didn't seem right. So red flag came out. We had to get a fuel stop for pace laps and everything. So I stopped and I told my crew, hey, can you check the injection nozzles or the spark plugs? Something's missing. I'm down a cylinder. And they're checking it all over. And they're like, no, everything looks fine. I'm like, okay, well, I hope this thing can stay together because I got nine laps to go. And uh, we restarted. It stumbled real bad. And it finally cleared out. And then with, I think, five to go, caught into some lap traffic. I had Dan Shetler right behind me trying to get me then and um ran hard with him and lap three he actually took the lead and i was on the outside he was on the bottom and i said no this is this is my race to 
lose. And I just tried as hard as I could around the outside and sure enough, lap traffic out of four helped me and had Dan trapped on the bottom and I got back to the lead and with one to go, I'm like, just hold together for one more lap. And I saw the checker and I think I, I'm surprised I didn't lose my voice after I got the checker and across the scales and then down to victory lane. And, uh, I, I couldn't believe it until I finally just put it in gear in victory lane and finally had to climb out and realize, holy smokes, we just won this race. I didn't think that was going to be possible at all. Describe the feeling of, of winning your first race. I mean, obviously, when you're when you're down to those waning laps, you're just focusing on hitting your marks and, and bringing it home and getting the good finish, or in your case, winning the thing. But then, you know, when you said you almost lost your voice, what were you yelling on the radio to the crew? What did you say when you jumped out of the car? I mean, just describe that whole feeling. Well, I was just pretty much yelling in my helmet because I don't. We we're not allowed to run any radios except the race here, which uh, they talk to us for lineups. But I was pretty much just in a woohoo, just like a yeah, scream like we did it and everything else. And uh, it was pretty much in my helmet. I was just so excited. I probably don't even know what words I was saying, but I, I know I was excited for what it was because I never thought we would have got the race, and I it was just it was coming out and then getting out of the trailer, my girlfriend come running over and she was almost in tears cause she was so happy about it and all that. My dad came over, my brother came over and they were just, they were probably walking through the air and all that. Everyone's hooting and hollering. I couldn't believe it. I mean, we were just so excited that we were able to win the race and just, it was our race. I mean, it was our night and we couldn't believe how fast we were through the whole weekend. And, and then when I finally got up on the wing and celebrated, I just gave her all I could because I'm like, I got to take care of all this because this is this is awesome. I can't, I still can't believe it. And uh, then I started doing the interview with Mike, and he just started going. And I'm like, I can't believe it. It's just, I don't think I could have believed I won until probably Tuesday night, Monday night, when it started sinking in. Just all the texts and congratulations and everything I was getting. My phone was blowing up. I had to put it on silent. It was going crazy. But um, I was. That is awesome. Just the, oh yeah. I mean, just hearing about uh, everybody blowing your phone up and, and and you know the the response, it goes to show you how popular it was, and you beat a stacked field. Oh, the the field was the, some of the best guys in the Western PA region. I mean, I had champions all around me, between Jack, AJ, Carl Bowser, Dan. Um, all the veterans that are in there, every, there was no slouches up front. And for me to be able to compete the way I did and perform how we did, I mean, I just, I couldn't ask for anything more for that just because I knew where I sat with the equipment that I have, with the motor that I have and the equipment that everyone else has and what's in them and all that and how they can go out East and run and be just competitive. And for me to just, run as hard as I could and actually beat these guys. I was just, I was so excited on that and everyone else was too, because they didn't expect for myself to be that far up and all that competitive. And everyone was just so happy to see somebody else like get their first feature win in a big race. Nonetheless. I mean, I could have done it at a local little local show with 1200 to win and all that, but I did it on a big five grand to win. I'm like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to, I'm going to do it big. And 
I mean, just the excitement that everybody I had when I came off the scales, I had every, all the crews just pretty much gathered around the car when I was trying to go out on the track. I was, I had to pay attention to keep the car straight. So I didn't hit the barrier trying to get out on the track because everyone wanted to high five and all that. And I'm just getting excited talking about it now. <laughs> well, Hey, that says a lot about you, obviously, and your team and how much respect the other competitors have for you, because everybody's been there, regardless of you're one of the big funded teams or not, everybody had to start somewhere. And, you know, you're such the epitome of, uh, what a local racer is all about. You're not in it for the money. You're in it because you enjoy it. And that speaks volumes. Their reaction speaks volume, volumes about you and how you guys carry yourself at the track. So uh, put that feather in your cap and put that on your helmet, however you want to call it, because you deserve it. <laughs> oh, thank you. I mean, that's, that's pretty much exactly how you said it is how I think about it. I'm not going for the money the money's nice and all that i've i've told my dad i told my family and my girlfriend and all that i'm pretty and the guys talk to me i'm like i'm going out to have fun i know where i sit i know where i stand i know where i can compete if i can compete and be competitive that's a win in my books and last weekend was just it superseded everything that i could dream of that for what i have and it just it was awesome and it still is and i'm going to try to do it again if I can, but just give her heck, I guess. Now it's about maintaining the momentum, you know, and the confidence, correct? Oh, yes. That that definitely helps my confidence going into races because now I know I can I can beat these guys if I can get every, all the setups right and all that and make it happen. And just the momentum going in, I, I feel this season's been the momentum's been pick, picking up every, every week and all that. We've been fast at Lernerville. We've been very fast at Tri-City. It's just that we needed a break. We had our night, our break, everything worked out, and I'm going to try to keep the momentum going for the Outlaw Show. There you go. That's great to hear. Who are some of the people that help you on your crew, that help you get the car at the track? Obviously, yeah, as well as your sponsors, who do you want to give a shout-out to? I got to give a shout-out to my crew, my dad, my brother, uh, Bill Robinson. He's a He's a pretty much crew chief on my car. I let him let him do that. Uh, Mom, for sure. She's in the background, but she's always part of it. And um, I also got to thank uh, my girlfriend, of course, for putting up with me and all that and supporting all that I do and all that. She's a racer herself, so it kind of goes hand in hand. I get the race, she gets the race, so we enjoy that. And uh, I got to thank uh, the Sodomans, Jack Sr. and Jack Jr., uh, for all their help and their insight and their input on the races and all that and just being around and being with him for so many years and helping him I've learned so much through them and he's learned some things and went back and told me what to do and it's just worked out over the last couple of years and made me faster made me better and I couldn't be more thankful for that uh, sponsors on the car that we have uh, Rick Kosminski, Auto Body and Align and Mars, Meridian Styles, um, Hometown Trailer Sales and Butler, uh, Texas Roadhouse and Butler, um, the Home Improvement Center and Butler, um, Shaner Automotive, um, Sterling Lubricants, uh, Champion Racing Oil, Precise Racing Products. Um, without them guys and being able on my car just to help me out for, say, I need a tire or whatever, I mean, every little bit helps and 
they've been a big help for the last, I don't know, probably since three or five days they've been on the car and all that and been helping me through all these seasons. So without them, a lot of it wouldn't be possible. And then big thanks to them and my crew. So what do you got going on the next couple of weeks? You know, Lernerville, uh, their season runs a tick longer this year because they got a, a late start. We got the uh, Commonwealth Clash coming up this weekend. So what's on your horizon here to round out the remainder of 2020? Uh, right. The season is getting a little thin here. So um, after Tri-City, we ended up hurting my motor. So my car will be parked. So I am actually going to be in um, the number three, Joe. Lucy roofing car at Lernerville for the Outlaws. He's given me a chance to get in his car and ride that for the rest of the season. And um, it's going to be the number three at the Outlaw shows for the Commonwealth. And afterwards, we're going to switch it over to the 12 machine. And I'm going to run the 12 on the car for the last um, last race uh, championship night at Lernerville and the Stampede at Lernerville, and then October 10th at Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, we're gonna, we have a race there. So not too many races left for me, but there's still a little bit of races left, and I want to thank him for the opportunity to get in his car and compete in his for the rest of the season, being mine's out of commission. So um, that just makes me even more thankful to have somebody to give me a car and finish the rest of the year out. All goes back to what we talked about earlier about the racing family, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Yes, that is that is 100% true on that. Somebody's, somebody's in a little distress, and there's other people that are willing to help you out. Well, Darren Gallagher, congratulations on the big win, on your first win in the 410 Sprint Class at Apple Fest at Tri-City Raceway Park on Sunday. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to join us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Scott. Darren's win was very popular. You can check out Lou Long's story on our website, plus get caught up on all of this week's racing news over at pittsburghracingnow.com. And we really appreciate the support, everyone. That does it for this edition of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Extra special thanks go out to Ross Chastain, Jason Rittenberry, and Darren Gallagher. And of course, Thanks to you race fans for joining us. Stay up on all the racing news, both locally and nationally, by clicking on pittsburghracingnow.com every day. Any use or reproduction of this podcast without the express written consent of Pittsburgh Racing Now is strictly prohibited. Until next time, I'm Scott Stiller.